Braves and baseball fans, it's time to take a trip from coast to coast across Major League Baseball. There it goes, a long drive. If it stays fair, home run. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung out and missed a perfect game. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, yes, yes. Braves and baseball talk straight from the diamond. Here's Grant McCauley. Hello and welcome to another episode of From the Diamond. As always, I'm Grant McCauley, and as of now, really, as of about a week ago, the hot stove was officially lit, and we are in the winter, which means there are so many things that could happen for the Atlanta Braves and the 29 other baseball teams, so why not have a nice little chat about where exactly it all starts, where it could go, and obviously what the Braves have already done here over the course of the very young winter. we got a lot to get into on this week's show. I'm going to have Chris Willis of Battery Power check in and join me. We've got some fun stuff to talk about for the Braves and also some good stuff that's happening over on Battery Power as well. And I'll get to Chris in just a moment. But before I get started, I want to remind you, as always, make sure you subscribe to From the Diamond, wherever you get your podcast. You can connect with me on social media, just about any platform, at Grant McCauley is where you can find me. Show's on Instagram, at From the Diamond. And you can also like the show on Facebook. And if you need links to any and all of that in every episode of the show, FromTheDiamond.com is the place to get those. As I mentioned at the top, the Braves have already been busy this winter, which means it's time for us to dust things off here, including this microphone, and get started with our hot stove discussion. And to help me get it going for the winter, I've got Chris Willis of Battery Power joining me here this week. Well, Chris, it's been a minute since we've gotten a chance to talk some Atlanta Braves, but it hasn't been a minute since the Braves have had some roster decisions to make, and they have, uh, I think, made the most of the limited time they've had thus far this winter. But it's great to sit down and talk to you for what I'm sure is going to be the first of many, many times on the hot stove. Yeah, it's been uh, kind of a long wait to get the hot stove started. Obviously, the playoffs ended a little quicker than any of us were anticipating. Yeah. But uh, you know, it just always seems it always seems like it's a long wait to get to this point. And then you know, sometimes things start fast, and sometimes they're uh, slow to drag out. Yeah, one of the things I've noticed about the Braves, I'm sure you have as well, is that Alex Anthopoulos does like to strike early in the offseason, and he's done that again this year. We're going to talk about what he's done as far as the bullpen is concerned, but we also needed to kind of wait and see once the World Series was over what the Braves were going to do with certain players who were already members of the 2023 club that all had options for 2024. The Braves had five of these players in total, the biggest names, of course, Charlie Morton and Eddie Rosario. Then you had a couple of relievers in Colin McHugh and Kirby Yates and Brad Hand, actually, who had a mutual option, which the Braves declined. And we'll get into the specifics of some of those, but the biggest one and the only one that the Braves chose to pick up was Charlie Morton. It's $20 million for 2024. I know you and I talked about this a lot over the course of the season up at the ballpark about you know what Charlie Morton's value is both in the clubhouse and on the mound. And of course, once you get out on the market, how do you replace a pitcher who had the kind of season that Charlie Morton did? Those were all things that were in play here for Alex Anthopoulos. But I kind of wonder, as we get into the outset of the hot stove, the winter shopping that Alex Anthopoulos had to do, what does this mean by picking up Charlie Morton's option for the overall rotational plans this winter? Because it is a very important first step and first piece to put back in place. I thought it was a logical move in a lot of ways. I know a lot of people are uh, were a little upset because of the $20 million price tag. But I think when you consider the uh, how many pitchers are on the free agent market, there's some good ones, but it's also not 
the greatest crop of players that we've seen in the offseason either. Yeah. You know, if Morton had walked, I think they would have needed at least a couple of guys, whether that's by free agency or, or trade. So, you know, I think just getting Morton back, you can slot him in. You know, he's probably going to give you 160, 180 innings. You know, you know what you're getting. And I just felt like, you know, he's a sure thing and it's just a one-year deal. So, you know, if he can give you innings uh, at the middle to back half of that rotation, you know, I just feel like that's a pretty good thing. Yeah, and it's really interesting if you look at what Charlie Morton was when he signed with the Braves prior to 2021 and what he kind of has morphed into now. And some of that has to do with other pieces around him. I mean, there was no Spencer Strider in place when Charlie Morton joined the Braves. He kind of came over as, I felt like, a top-of-the-rotation, proven postseason pitcher that the Braves were clearly lacking could have really used him in 2020 when they were just grasping at straws and trying to cobble together a rotation and still ended up a win away from the World Series. But putting that aside, it was important for the Braves to go get a pitcher like that. But now as you look at Charlie, you know, this year, 14-12 and 12 with 364 ERA, about 160 innings, struck out 180 batters. I know he walked more hitters than we were accustomed to seeing with Charlie Morton. He still will hit a batter from time to time, but I felt like he got the home runs under control. And he had an overall good season. And I think if there's anything as far as, you know, the response to spending $20 million on Charlie Morton again that might be kind of stuck in the craw for some fans or hard to forget is the fact that he had an untimely injury that did not help the Braves when you talk about the postseason. But as you and I both know, and anybody listening to this should know by now, there's never a good time for an injury and they're impossible to predict when they could come up and change your plans. It's just kind of a shame that that, I think, is the recency of Charlie Morton was that he wasn't available when the Braves needed him the most in the 2023 postseason. Yeah, and I mean, you just can't predict injuries. And I mean, nobody coming into the 2023 season, nobody really expected Kyle Wright to go down with a shoulder injury, especially coming off the season that he had in 2022. Same thing for Max Freed. I mean, you know, Max Freed's been that top of the rotation arm for the Braves really since the 2020 season. You know, and I mean, if anything, you know, we're all guilty of it. You come in and just kind of look at those guys and you pencil them in for 30 starts and expect them to do the job. So, you know, but I mean, it's just a reminder of pitchers break. And, um, you know, and it's a testament to Charlie at his age, uh, he'll be going into his age 40 season that he is, um, you know, largely he's had a couple of freak injuries during his time in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. But I mean, he's basically taken the ball whenever they needed him to take it. Yeah, and they were able to win the 2021 World Series despite the fact that he had the freakiest of all the freak injuries, which was the broken leg, as the Braves were just trying to get started in the World Series. Charlie Morton was going to be a big part of their plan. The next thing you know, they're having to start Dylan Lee and Tucker Davidson just to figure out a way to win that thing, and they were able to do it. But I think as you look at the overall value of Charlie Morton, I mentioned this earlier, I mean, in the clubhouse, this is a very well-respected pitcher, and it's not just that. That's not the only reason that they're bringing him back as I talked about with the numbers. And I know there were some highs and lows for Charlie this year, but the other shame about the finger injury that he suffered late in the season was that he really seemed to be rounding into form, which had you kind of feeling good about where the Braves were heading into the postseason because there were so many question marks in 2022 with Max Fried being sick, with Spencer Strider coming off the oblique injury. 2021, I just mentioned what happened in the World Series. The Braves found themselves debuting pitchers and using openers, trying to win it all and ended up doing it. And then 2020 was a lot like that as well. The Braves had Ian Anderson and Max Fried, and after that, it was just trying to figure out and find the answers. So this is something the Braves have dealt with a lot, and that's the importance of the depth, I think, and the continuity and the consistency that a pitcher and a teammate like Charlie Morton can provide for the staff. I think it's going to be worth the $20 million, Chris. And as you mentioned earlier, the Braves were going to be looking, I think, for two starting pitchers. Charlie Morton could be one of them, but they're going to have to do more. So now I'm really interested to see where this takes Atlanta moving forward. There is no Kyle Wright in 2024. We found that out at the end of the season. 
Max Fried has one more year before free agency. So as we fast forward, Charlie Morton could be retiring. Max Fried could be hitting free agency. Kyle Wright won't be in the picture until 2025. And it's a long process to get back from a shoulder injury. We know that. So particularly when it comes to performance, you can't really pencil in Kyle Wright after the 2024 season to be the exact same guy that he was before. We're going to have to find that out. So all of that leaves Spencer Strider as the top starter, and then a whole bunch of question marks after that. Bryce Elder could be in that mix. He could be one answer. A.J. Smith-Shaver, Hurston Waldrip, those are names we've learned this year, and some guys that we could see in the Braves' plans as soon as 2024. Then you have Ian Anderson potentially returning from Tommy John surgery next summer sometime. Whatever happens with Michael Soroka, we don't know that as of now. And minor league depth and other prospects that could factor into all of this, whether it's Darius Vines or a host of other arms that will just have one year to get closer and perhaps crack their way into the Braves' plan. So a lot of things have to happen between now and then, Chris, but the long-term picture for the Braves' rotation could very well reach a critical point in the next year. So again, to come back and sew it all in to what could happen this winter, Alex Anthopoulos could make a move that could help him in 2024 and beyond, depending on how exactly the Braves go about filling this other need in the rotation, this other open spot in the Braves' rotation here this winter. Yeah, and I think it's important that they do that. And I mean, I think he alluded to that after the season was over this time, talking about they had opportunities at the trade deadline, but they were looking for a significant move that could help in future seasons as well. So, you know, I think that's something to keep an eye on this year. Uh, You know, I don't know, you know, maybe they could trade for somebody and then sign them to an extension. They've Mm -hmm. done that in the past as well. You know, this does feel like it's going to be a transitional offseason for the rotation. And even the season could be that way as well as we get to see Smith Shaver and uh, Hurston Waldrop and, and, you know, some other guys hopefully take that step Mm -hmm. forward and answer some of those questions. But I do think it's important that they really go out and try to add some depth to the rotation uh, this offseason. And, you know, if they could get a veteran starter, and I know a lot of teams are going to be looking for them. Oh, yeah. But uh, landing a veteran starter that could help one, two, three seasons, I think would be a really tall uh, task and and would fit well. It'd be really huge. And I talked about this and I posted on social media after the Braves made the decision to pick up Charlie Morton's option. This is a good move for them. It's the first domino to fall, but they need to do more. And it's a must when you kind of lay out the whole scenario about Max Fried knocking on the door of free agency, the absence of Kyle Wright next year. And then of course, Charlie Morton is not going to be the answer every single winter. So getting some other pieces in place and also you know, allowing for some of these prospects to perhaps be part of it, but not becoming completely dependent on a bunch of young and unproven arms. It's always nice to mix them in to an already established group. I think every club would like to do it if they had their way. So what can they do this winter is the next question, I think. And Sonny Gray is a free agent who has gotten a lot of talk in brave circles. I'm going to go through some of these projections here, but we also know Aaron Nola's out there. Jordan Montgomery, that's a guy that after the trade deadline went over to Texas, I think, and upped his value considerably heading into free agency. But if you look at MLB trade rumors, as I know we do each and every day, and you start to get into the hot stove and you see those projections of what the contracts could be, I believe Sonny Gray, 4-90 was what we're looking at, four years, $90 million. 6-150, though, for Aaron Nola. And I believe the same was on Jordan Montgomery, which is pretty crazy to think of Jordan Montgomery and Aaron Nola in the same kind of projection system and getting the same amount of money. Now, of course, these are all projections, We'll find out exactly what teams want to spend this winter, but the market is going to be kind of high for some of these big arms. We know it is, and the Braves have not really played in that you know nine-figure free agency deal. So another trade to address the starting pitching need is a possibility, but there are some intriguing free agents. It's just there's a scarcity, I think, of these arms that you really would look at as longer-term fixes for the Braves rotation. 
Yeah, and I mean, you mentioned Gray, and I think he would be a great fit, but just the lack of options uh, this winter is going to drive that price up. I mean, Keith Law uh, released his top 40 free agents list and had Sonny Gray at fifth. And, um, you know, that's significant for a 32, I think, year old starter. Coming off a good season this mm-hmm. year, but, you know, if you look back at the innings total over the previous few seasons and, you know, it's not really quite there what you would think, you know, for getting that uh, near $100 million contract. So it is going to be interesting to see. I hate trying to predict this stuff because it seems like the Braves always make a move and it's it's like, oh, yeah, it always seems obvious, uh, but mm-hmm. it's never obvious until the press release comes out. So I think a lot of teams are going to be on the trade. You know, there's going to be a lot of trade calls for this just because of free agency being the way it is this offseason. But, you know, when there's a lot of competition like that, you know, you just never know, you know, when a deal is going to come together. But I agree, you know, I agree with you. You know, I don't know if they can find a guy, uh, Lucas Giolito, that mm-hmm. – Kind of his value's kind of down probably a little bit. I don't sure. know if you could you could get him in a one two year um, you know with the club option or something. They're gonna have to find people to eat some innings though, you know. And I don't know if it's, you're looking at a reclamation project or or you know if you can find a uh, a younger starter through trade uh, or through free agency. And I think you'd feel fine with a reclamation project if you felt like four spots in your rotation were really kind of settled. And I don't know. I mean, you've got Spencer Strider. You've got Max Fried. You bring him back Charlie Morton. And you've got Bryce Elder. So to a certain extent, I feel like you can say that four spots in the rotation could be settled at the moment. Then I rattled off a whole bunch of names earlier that are already in the organization. So, you know, the pieces are there for depth. But, I mean, Chris, when we got into spring training last year, I started looking around and thinking, Wow, and the Braves almost have too many starting pitchers at the moment when he got to spring training. But by the time we got into the first couple of months of the season and Max Freed's on the I.L. and then you lose Kyle Wright for a significant amount of time and Freed lands back on the I.L. and misses even more time. And the next thing you know, you're trying to not only fill the fifth starter spot, which was a revolving door of all kinds of pitchers, but then you had two of your top arms that weren't available to you for about half the season apiece. So it became, you know, the best laid plans, as we know, don't necessarily play out the way that you want them to when everybody reports to spring training. So I think that's what really amps up the importance here of looking for fixes and stability and continuity and consistency and a whole bunch of other positive adjectives that I can throw on it that makes it intriguing to look at a guy like Sonny Gray or perhaps that trade, because I'm with you. You look at these press releases and you you think it should be obvious and somehow really nobody thought of it, or maybe you didn't even know that player was available, or if they were, you weren't expecting the Braves to jump in and get them, but they've done that in recent years. I mean, the Matt Olson trade was a pretty big one. I know he doesn't pitch. The Sean Murphy one was another one that kind of was a surprising one, at least considering how much depth the Braves had a catcher, but plans can change. And as you start to work the phones, and I know Alex Anthopoulos is going to be doing that at the GM meetings. Winter meetings are only, what, about three, four weeks away. I'm going to be up there for those. I mean, there's a lot of activity that's going to be happening here, Chris. So we're going to start to see what this market develops into. But as I mentioned, when you got Sonny Gray, you got Aaron Nola, Jordan Montgomery, Blake Snell's also on the free agent market. And you also said there are some guys out there, whether it's a Lucas Giolito or some of these other arms that were traded at the deadline that maybe you didn't want to pay a whole bunch for in prospects, but might be intriguing for you on a one-year get-right kind of contract, and that is at least an option for the Braves if they're looking to build some quality depth. Yeah, agreed. And I mean, and that's the thing is is kind of like we thought they had too many pitchers yeah. early in the spring, and by the time we got to the end of the season, it was a situation where, you know, you just didn't have enough, no. and, and you never have enough. I mean, that's the old saying, uh, the way that goes. So, you know, I'm, I'm fascinated to see what they're going to do. Uh, you know, I think they've taken great strides in addressing the uh, position player side, the lineup, is pretty much set. 
And now I think they're to that point where you've got to address the rotation. Uh, you know, personally, I would like to see, you know, Max Freed situation being taken care of. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I'm hopeful that we're going to hear some of that. Um, you know, recent history suggests that, you know, that may not happen. But at the same time, that would clear the picture up a little bit for the seasons beyond 2024. You know, if you could find an extension with him as well. Yeah. And I'm not trying to throw it into an either or, but I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, if you are looking for, ways for the Braves to spend their money for the ability to build a rotation that you you know what you have in Max Freed. I mean, obviously, 2023 was a frustrating year injury-wise, but prior to that, I mean, he had been pretty sturdy. And I mean, it's unfortunate that he got sick in 2022, but you don't really book a good time to get sick the way that Max Freed did. It's just bad timing, and that, I think, is all that it is. But if you're looking at the big money, I mean, especially these nine-figure deals, do you feel like it's worth it more so to go with Max Freed and to sign the player that you know so well? Or do you think the Braves would kind of put that off and jump into this pool where you could be spending nine figures or more for a starting pitcher that you'd be bringing in on the free agent side that is not really something that they've been known to do? I mean, they've signed free agents. They've signed free agents to multi-year deals, but they haven't necessarily given out the big money, big splash contracts that we see all around baseball over the course of the winter. Yeah, and I mean, that's kind of the question. I mean, you know, from my standpoint, I think the upside on a, a freed extension is a whole lot better than anybody they could sign this offseason. But at the same time, you know, like you were saying, if you look at the recent contracts they've given out, I mean, mm-hmm. I think $22 million annually is the top figure that they haven't exceeded. That's for Spencer Strider. That's for Austin Riley. That's for Matt Olson. Mm-hmm. You know, they wouldn't, they haven't been willing to push past that. And, you know, we're to, to the point now where, you know, they kind of need a starter. Uh, they probably, you know, could probably, you know, we know they need one for more than one season. So, you know, the question is, how do they fit him in? You know, do they go above their salary structure that they have? And I don't think they can continue forever, you know, not giving out right. somebody more than $22 million. But, you know, given what we've seen over the last two or three seasons, this is kind of where they've been and, you know, how they distributed payroll. Uh, and, you know, that's another question, too. I mean, they actually went into the tax last year. You know, will they go in and tax again this year? I mean, they've shown a willingness to spend. We don't mm-hmm. know how much. Uh, they're never too forthcoming with that. But, you know, it's going to be interesting to see where they where they end up uh, because I, I think you and I will agree on anything. They've got a lot of options. They've got a lot of young options. A lot of those guys saw time last year, but none of them stepped forward and just took that spot. That yeah. was the reoccurring thing about all of them. Maybe Smith Shaver does that this time. Maybe Waldrop does that at some point. Uh, you know, maybe Ian Anderson comes back and, and is able to do that at some point. But, you know, they've got to get somebody, I think, where they can just kind of the way Charlie was in a mm-hmm. lot of ways. Maybe he doesn't need to be the top of the rotation guy, but it's the guy that you can kind of pencil in for 30 starts each of the next two seasons. Yeah, and I think that that's really, in a lot of ways, I mean, at least from the feedback I got, what they were hoping that the Braves would get, at the very least, at the trade deadline, was just one more dependable arm. And is that a reason why the Braves didn't win the National League Division Series against the Phillies? Not really. And I know they got bombed in the Bryce Elder start, but Spencer Strider, three of two great games, you could have won both of them, and you scored one run for him combined in those two starts. That's why they lost. And I know we don't have to dig up those bones and go through that whole thing again, but it wasn't the pitching ultimately that cost the Braves in that division series. And so many people looked at it and said, I don't trust this bullpen. I'm worried about what happens after Max Fried and after Spencer Strider. And as it turned out, those were not really the worries, though I'll tell you, game three wasn't fun for me to watch either. It just didn't play out the way that a lot of people thought that it was going to. But that doesn't mean that they shouldn't be building the pitching depth that they need to get through this season. And the other thing, and especially in regards to the spending is, 
one thing that the Braves have done is create that cost certainty. That's one of the big talking points that comes out of all of these extensions is creating a team and a core that's going to be together for a long time for the, basically the rest of this decade, pretty much. So at what point, Chris, do they step outside of that and say, okay, we've got these guys locked in. Where can we find this player that maybe from a free agent standpoint is the next logical fit? Then you kind of brought up the other part of this, which is what happened with Matt Olson and what happened with Sean Murphy. And in recent memory is you go trade for a player who's got a year or two of team control and you go ahead and extend him. So could the Braves find their starter that way? Because there are going to be a lot of names that aren't going to come up on this show or a lot of other shows that are going to get calls for teams all across baseball. Can the Braves find the right trade that helps them to supplement their rotation and then lock that pitcher down for a number of years? Because as we've talked about all these extensions and gone over all of them, Spencer Strider is the only pitcher that's gotten an extension out of this whole group. And that's an interesting fact, I think, to keep in mind. Oh, no doubt. Um, you know, and, and just you just said it. I mean, another thing to factor into this, too, is, you know, I know they have played up the talent in the minor league system. Most of the rankings have the Braves near the bottom. Mm-hmm. But Alex Santopoulos has said multiple times that, you know, they've had the players to go and make trades. And I think, you know, it's important to point out that they were able to go out and get a Matt Olson. They were able to go out and get a Sean Murphy. Mm-hmm when their minor league system was ranked in the lower third. So I don't doubt him, but you know, that is a component of it too, because if you trade for a guy that's got one year of uh, team control and you spend real assets on him, you want to make sure that Mm -hmm. he's going to be with you beyond one season. You know, I think when you're doing this, you have to not only look at how that guy can help you on the field, but how does he fit in the clubhouse? How does he fit long-term? Will he be willing to take an extension? You know, and I mean, I think too, and this is something I think a lot of people forget too, is I mean, the Braves are an attractive uh, landing spot. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, given all the pitching injuries they had last year, 104 wins, uh, historic offense, a lot of pitchers would love to see that Mm -hmm. kind of run support in the uh, regular season especially. So, you know, maybe a pitcher comes in here and thinks that, hey, I can be the missing piece to get them over the top. But, you know, again, it's I wish I could throw a bunch of names out here, but it just seems like it's always somebody that we're not expecting mm-hmm. the way this front office operates. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, they move in secrecy. It's very quiet, and we typically aren't going to find out what the details are until either the moment that they send that press release out or right before they send that press release out. That's how tight-knit Alex Antopoulos keeps that circle, how closed off that circle is before the Braves get a deal done. Now, uh, bottom line for the starting pitching discussion with Charlie Morton's option picked up is I think they're going to go after another proven starter beyond Charlie, whether that is a trade or free agency. Chris, I think we agree on that. And they've got to set themselves up for not just 2024, but beyond that. So it's going to be interesting to see how Alex Antopoulos and company tackle that this offseason. Now, uh, Atlanta declined to pick up the rest of the options that they had for the players that they could have brought back in 2024 at least under these terms. Now, I'll get into a little bit more of this in a moment, but Eddie Rosario had a $9 million option with no buyout. Kirby Yates, $5.25 million with a $1.25 million buyout. Colin McHugh, $5 million with a $1 million buyout. And Brad Hand had a $7 million mutual option. I believe it was a half a million dollar buyout for the Braves to decline their half of that. So all of those moves cost the Braves just $2.75 million. And What's nearly $3 million between friends? I don't know. I may never know. But uh, putting all that aside, I was a little bit surprised with Eddie Rosario. I think that's the one that most people would probably circle on this list and think, why don't you bring back that guy? And, you know, just based on his productivity and the price tag and compared to what other comparable players out on the market could command for more than just a one-year deal, I really thought Eddie Rosario was not a slam dunk, but a, a likely player to come back. Chris, were you surprised that the Braves declined Eddie Rosario's option? I was surprised. I thought 
he was probably coming back and I thought there was a good chance Morton was going to come back. But, you know, looking at it a little bit more, I mean, I was surprised. I didn't even realize that A. Rosario played in as many games as mm-hmm. he did. I think it was 140, 140 something games this year. I mean, that's a lot of, uh, uh, plate appearances to replace. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one thing I will say is I know um, I know Alex, Alex talked at the trade deadline uh, shortly after the trade deadline, and then again after the season they were looking for a right-handed power bat. Yep. At the at explored talks, didn't name the player, of course, uh, but said that guy wasn't moved. You know, and I mean, if you look at who they've locked up and this lineup. You know, the logical thinking there that it was that it was probably a left fielder mm-hmm. at that point. So, you know, maybe they're looking for a right-handed bat to stick out there in the corner. I think we'll always remember uh, 2021 for Eddie Rosario. Oh, yeah. uh, I mean, he was a, uh, you know, postseason hero. Um, you know, he's a league average player last year. I think and that was fine as long as, you know, when he's arguably probably the worst hitter in your lineup, uh, you know, of a st- historical lineup, when you can throw a league average guy into that spot, that's pretty big. But, uh, yeah, I was a little surprised that they didn't pick him up. Yeah, he was batting 250 with over 20 homers and, and what, a nearly 750 OPS. I mean, that's not bad at all. And I think some folks, I mean, the ones that were maybe over Eddie Rosario kind of looked at this deal and thought, okay, well, he didn't turn back into the supernova player that he was down the stretch in 2021 and, of course, winning the NLCS MVP. And he did have some peaks and valleys over the course of his 2023 season. I think you and I noticed that even when we were talking about maybe riding the hot hand in a fantasy league, for crying out loud. But there were some moments for Eddie Rosario still in 2023. And I almost kind of wonder when people look at the last couple of years, if they weren't kind of put off by the lost 2022 season and let that maybe affect the lens, no pun intended, by which they view Eddie Rosario's time here recently in Atlanta. Because again, I think it it could be challenging to replace him. But if you are looking for balance and if they are looking for right-handed power, you consider that Michael Harris II is now a fixture in your lineup. He's going to play against lefties and righties in center field. you got Ozzie Albies, who's a switch hitter. Matt Olson obviously swings that lefty bat. You can bring in another right-handed power bat, and then you have the resurgent Marcelo Zuna. That didn't hurt matters either. So it'll be kind of fascinating to see what names they might go after, if there might be a familiar name like a Jorge Soler who opted out in Miami, if it might be just some other deal that the Braves feel like they can put in place to continue to basically run back one of the best offenses that you're ever going to see. And I'm interested to see how exactly the Braves tackle that because I can't imagine them throwing an unproven platoon out in left field if they don't bring back Eddie Rosario on some other terms, which brings me to my other point, and I said this on social as well, just because they declined an option doesn't mean that these players might not agree to terms to return to the Braves, just a different deal. Yeah, and that's a good point too because, I mean, you could bring back Eddie Rosario on a, a lesser deal and slide him into a platoon or in, even into a bench role if you wanted to. Uh, so, you know, that is something to keep an eye on. I guess when you're looking at it, you know, it depends on where you're shopping at, at what poor, uh, part of the line, to, so to say. But there's a lot of outfielders that will be available out there now. You know, can you find a mixture to get you a league average numbers or better. I think that's the question, you know, and I wondered, I wondered when it happened, I wonder if this was a a situation where they were kind of going to try to save some money, 
to maybe spend on a starter if they needed to once they decided to bring Morton back. So, yeah, I'm really interested in that. I know I've racked my head wondering who this right-handed bat that uh, Alex has mentioned a couple of times now uh, was, who they were pursuing. You know, I would venture to say that it's probably not going to be anybody that anybody thinks about, but it could probably be a guy that's got team control uh, Mm -hmm. for a while. If you could get him, uh, it's got a power stroke and – Obviously, this is a great lineup to hit in, so it'll be interesting to see what route they go. Yeah, and when you do look at declining the options, Rosario, $9 million, Kirby Yates just over 5 Colin McHugh was 5 Brad Hand, I, I think it was always a foregone conclusion that was unlikely to be exercised and picked up the $7 million option for him. But at a minimum, with Rosario, Yates, and McHugh, that's $20 million that the Braves were on the hook for if they picked up those options. And again, with those guys and Hand, just under $3 million that they paid to buy those out. So you net about $17 million there over what you could be paying more in the case of if you brought back Brad Hand, which, again, I think would have been unlikely. So the Braves, I mean, they'll have some funds to work with. I don't think that exercising Charlie Morton's option keeps them out of the ability to go out and sign free agents or make other moves, make a trade, do extensions. Clearly, the Braves have figured out a pretty good formula when it comes to doing that. Uh, It's just going to be an interesting storyline for the winter to figure out how exactly they address left field. Because, again, I'd I'd just be surprised if they went with something more unproven. I think they're going to want to, as much as they can, have the kind of consistency that they had a year ago. But when you do look at the rest of this lineup that they're returning, I don't think that they're going to lose a lot, even if left field looks a little bit different than it did in 2023. Speaking of things that may not look altogether that different, the Braves' bullpen, because a couple of key pieces have already signed. The World Series wasn't over when Pierce Johnson inked a two-year deal 14.25 14.25 million with a club option for 2026. He's going to be back. A great pickup at the trade deadline. A 0.76 ERA with the Braves. Strikeout numbers were great. Really, just kind of turned his career around, Chris. And I got to talk to Pierce right before the NLDS got started, and he said the Braves came in and said, "Look, uh, we believe that there's some upside here. Just throw your fastball, throw your curveball." And he went out there and did that, and the results speak for themselves. And then Joe Jimenez, who came over in the offseason trade a year ago, inks a three-year deal to return to Atlanta for $26 million in total. He got stronger as the season went on. He had that back surgery over the last winter. Important piece. And I think when you look at the late-inning mix, as the Braves are adding those guys to Rysel Iglesias and to A.J. Minter, that's a pretty good foursome at the end of the game already for the Braves. And I know they're going to go out and try to figure out ways to add some more arms to the bullpen. But what was your impression of the Braves striking pretty quickly to bring back a couple of key members of the bullpen already? Well, I thought it was huge. And, um, you know, I was kind of wondering if they would try to bring Pierce Johnson back. I was a little surprised that they got them both, honestly. Uh, you know, I kind of just looked at it like maybe they try to bring one of those two guys back and everything. So I think it's really good that they was able to get both. I think a lot of people slept on Joe Amenez a little bit. He had a little yep. bit of a back procedure. was a little slow starting out, uh, you know, and had there was a couple of rough outings uh, there. But he got really uh, pitched a lot better at the end, uh, at the end of the season. Yeah, and found then, that velocity that was missing early. And I think that, as right. much as anything, really turned the season around. Yeah, and then, I mean, when you looked at, when they made the trade for Pierce Johnson, a lot of people just looked at those numbers. And I guess some of them factored in, you know, he was pitching at Coors Field. But like you said, the Braves saw something in him. And, I mean, he came over and, I mean, he was pretty much lights out from the time he mm-hmm. got here. Uh, so, you know, that's a good veteran back end of the bullpen there you know, with the Glacius and Minter too. So, um, you know, I know one of the criticisms of the bullpen was they were pretty much locked into the guys that were down there just because of uh, all of them were out of options. I think that's something, you know, by declining uh, Colin McHugh and Kirby Yates, I think they may try to see uh, or fix a little bit for going into this next season because it was really difficult to just add a fresh arm 
you know, if you needed one, you know, they really had to use that fifth starter spot in a lot of situations yep. to uh, to do that. So, you know, that may be something we see. We may, it may see a little younger mix uh, coming in, but I think you can do that when you have the back end uh, locked up the way you do. And then also you're going to be adding Tyler Matzik back to this yep. uh, mix as well, which is we know how good he can be. Uh, you know, he'll he'll be coming off Tommy John surgery, and uh, I'm sure they'll be a little slow to work him in. But, you know, that's a big arm to get back if he's anywhere close to where he was uh, before the injury. No doubt. And that's an interesting point that I was about to get to because the Braves are going to go back to that well and try to pick up another arm who's not going to pitch in 2024 in Angel Perdomo, who they picked up from the Pittsburgh Pirates, who was very good in the first half of the season but landed on the I.L., and eventually had Tommy John surgery about a month ago. So he won't factor in the 2024 plans, but the Braves, as you looked at what they were doing in the bullpen, which by and large, until you got to September, I know that the numbers kind of got skewed down the stretch, which probably led a lot of people to worry about what the Braves' bullpen was going to do in the postseason. Turned out to not be a problem, but having Tyler Matzik back in there, I I think that's going to be a huge boost for this club. It's another lefty. It's another guy with big strikeout stuff to go along with A.J. Minter. I think that's something that was really missing. I mean, when you look at why the Braves went out and got Brad Hand, it was to get another veteran left-handed pitcher who could be an option in that bullpen. And I know that Brad Hand didn't necessarily boast the kind of numbers that he did a few years ago, but it really felt like the Braves had to do something, particularly with Dylan Lee out, and hopefully he's going to be ready for spring training as well. He underwent a procedure and should be ready to go when the Braves start playing those exhibition games. So this bullpen could have some familiar names back and will benefit from having these guys that spent time in 2023 with the club sticking around for even longer. I think it could be a pretty good group, Chris. Yeah, I agree. I think it was an undergraded group this year. Yes, there was some rough patches, but I mean, every bullpen, uh, goes through that, you know, yeah. over the course of a season. And it's also worth mentioning, too, you know, you, you're talking about getting Matzik back and then you talk about Perdomo. A.J. Minter's entering his last year of team control as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there may be a little bit of thinking beyond this season if, uh, you know, if the, if there, an extension doesn't happen before the end of the season. So, uh, you know, just something else to keep in mind. But I, I do, I like the way this bullpen's coming together. I think if they can just add a little bit of flexibility to it, you know, it can be a really good unit. And we know over the course of the season as well, I mean, a bullpen is going to evolve. There will be some injuries. There'll be some attrition, just some inconsistency. Things are going to happen. But when you're able to stack the depth the way that the Braves are trying to do, at least this winter and the way that they were trying to do over the course of really any season that you look at, and especially in recent memory, it seemed like once the Braves rebuilt their bullpen, Chris, in 2019 at that trade deadline, they kind of realized the value of having veteran guys who've been there and done that and not really looking at what we were for so many years. It felt like during the rebuild where it was like anybody who's got a pulse and that throws left-handed, we'll try them out. And anybody that might can get somebody out, well, we'll try them out too, even if it's been a few years since they did it. We've come a long way over the course of the last, what, six years as the Braves have gone on this run of winning the division each and every year. But, of course, the goals for the Braves are much higher, much loftier than just winning that division. And that's one of the big jobs for Alex Anthopoulos this year is trying to figure out a way how to get the Braves over that hump again with a group that already has an outstanding core. Well, of course, the winter has gotten started. We've talked about the Braves and their option decisions. We've talked about a couple of free agents that, well, well, they didn't end up really tested free agency because they decided they'd like to come on back to the Braves in Pierce Johnson and in Joe Jimenez. But there have been a handful of other moves. There's going to be some interesting decisions coming up when it comes to the non-tender deadline for Atlanta. Nicky Lopez obviously picked up at the trade deadline to add some depth on the infield to Atlanta. A really good glove. Are the Braves going to want to have him back? As Major League Baseball trade rumors is a great resource, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, they're projecting him at $3.9 million for his arbitration number. Colby Allard projected at a million. 
Michael Soroka at $3 million. Waskari Noah at $1 million. Of course, he's another guy that could be back in the mix for the Braves this year after undergoing Tommy John surgery in 2022. Yanni Chirinos, which could be a whole podcast in and of itself. The number of times we talked about him and he ended up not really being a factor in 2023. But putting that aside, Michael Tonkin also on this list. Sam Hilliard was already claimed by the Baltimore Orioles. Andrew Velasquez and Ben Heller uh, were outrighted off the roster and have elected free agency. So, Chris, as you look at this group here, I think the most interesting names, uh, Nicky Lopez is the biggest number, and I think the Braves would like to have him around. That arbitration number, though, is about double what the starting shortstop uh, Orlando Arcia is making with his new deal that he signed at the end of spring training this year. Uh, Then you've got the Michael Soroka story. I'll start with Lopez, then we'll get into Soroka and see what you think could happen with a couple of these key names on the Braves' non-tender list. I think with Lopez, I think it would be set up well for both sides to uh, come to a multi-year agreement. Obviously, you know, it would be kind of strange to see him getting uh, about double to what uh, uh, Orlando Arcia would be. Uh, But I do think the Braves really like him, and I think they think – that they can unlock something with the bat too, you know. So he's an intriguing player, especially the fact that he could fill in at second, short, third. Brian Snicker said he thinks he could play him in center field too, if he needed to. So, um, you know, I'm expecting Lopez back, but I'm kind of expecting them to come to an agreement on a multi-year deal before we get to the arbitration process. I mean, what if he ends up getting a deal very similar to what Orlando Arcia got, which is two guaranteed years plus an option year? I think that would make a lot of sense because even if Nicky Lopez does end up being non-tendered and going out and signing somewhere else, I'm not sure that some team's going to give him $4 million on a one-year deal. I mean, it could happen. I, I could be wrong. It could be misreading the Nicky Lopez market, but I don't know. Now, Michael Soroka was held onto by the Braves throughout the two Achilles injuries and the long road that it has taken him to get back after being out of action from 2020 until 2023. We saw Michael bouncing up and down between Gwinnett and Atlanta, and I think that caused some uh, concern, some consternation amongst Braves fans because I just kind of felt like maybe some consistency would be helpful for him after the long road that he's been on. And I know they were trying to figure out things, as you mentioned earlier, about utilizing what you know wiggle room they had to bring extra arms, fresh arms onto the roster and off of the roster throughout the course of the season. I know that that's a thing that teams do. I felt like from a stuff perspective, Soroka still has it. From an execution standpoint, it seemed like he was still a work in progress, and I know that he altered his mechanics some, but uh, Chris, as much as anything, the the Michael Soroka saga has been one that is built on the fact that he came up and established himself as perhaps the ace of the staff. And now you just kind of wonder, even at the age of 25, is he going to have the chance to really see that promise and turn it into results again for the Braves? And what exactly are they going to do with Michael Soroka, who carries, again, a number uh, through arbitration if they tender him a contract that's estimated to be about $3 million? Yeah, and I wish I had a good answer because, you know, on one hand, I feel like they've carried him this far. that right. They've had opportunities to cut bait and didn't. And, you know, it, the by tendering him a contract, it's not fully guaranteed. But I think the biggest thing with Soroka is he's out of options this time. So if he's in spring training, he basically has to win a spot or, you know, they have to expose him to waivers at the end of the spring. And if you do that, you know, would you be better off just moving on? Is there a possibility of him uh, accepting, a, you know, a non-tendered and taking a minor league deal? I think that possibility is there. But there's enough bad teams right. in this league that are looking for pitching that I just have a hard time thinking somebody won't take a chance on him if he gets the free market, just given the success he's had. Now, you know, the injury stuff with him has been tragic. I think my gut tells me that they probably tender him. I know some other people disagree with that, 
you would say the two sides could work out a deal, but again, you can't get around the options part okay. of it. And could he end up with one of those non-guaranteed deals where you kind of have to make that decision? Oh, Adam Duvall was on one of those not long ago yeah. because amazingly the Braves had club control over him for what felt like an eternity, but in a very different circumstances. But I'm, I'm with you. I kind of look at clubs that could use the pitching that could offer him three or more million dollars a year on a one-year make-good offer. I feel like maybe even a team like the Giants that has a track record of taking in pitchers that need a little bit of work, need to be brought back into form and getting the most out of them. I mean, maybe that's the kind of club that would be looking for him and not one that's rebuilding, not one that's, you know, completely that far out of the opportunity to win that just sees Soroka as somebody that could come in and help fortify their rotation. I, I think there would be a market out there for that. So what exactly will the Braves do from an emotional standpoint? I know all these you know, decisions, they have a little bit of that in them for Alex Anthopoulos and his crew as well. But ultimately, I mean, this is going to be a business decision. But I think you and I both know Michael Soroka is as good as it gets when it comes to players that you could get behind and root for and that you want to see succeed in this game. And what he's had to go through to try to get himself back, I really wish that he'd gotten a little bit more in the consistency department of getting regular big league starts because I just feel like maybe there was a possibility that he could have worked some things out at the big league level. And I kind of got the feeling like he would have liked the opportunity to work it out at the big league level. And I don't think that's a stretch. And it might be the most obvious thing that I say on the show today. But uh, those are some of the decisions that the Braves have to make as far as the non-tenders are concerned. Some of them feel like they could be pretty obvious. Others, it felt like, again, to bring up Yanni Chirinos, the Braves seemed to be enamored by the fact that they had another year to maybe help him get right. He was not right when he came over after getting cut loose by the Tampa Bay Rays, but they did see some value there. Maybe they'll try to figure that out on a non-guaranteed deal in the course of spring training. And if there's just not a place for him, then they're going to move on. Uh, obviously, the pitching staff, the entire roster. It's a fluid discussion throughout the course of the year. Needs are going to change. Injury is going to change the picture more than a few times. And we'll see what the Braves decide to do. Sam Hilliard claimed by the Baltimore Orioles, though. I thought that his April was pretty important for the Braves, what he showed there. I thought maybe he'd be more of a player for Atlanta if they needed him to be. But as it turned out, once Michael Harris got back in and managed to figure things out and turn things on in the month of June, there just wasn't a lot of playing time for Sam, who also battled some injury. And, of course, Andrew Velasquez, we did not see at the big league level, and Ben Heller, who was in the Braves' bullpen briefly. Maybe he'll be back. Maybe he'll catch on somewhere else, get an opportunity to continue his career as well. We have the opportunity to continue our hot stove coverage in a variety of places, not just here on From the Diamond. But, Chris, we're also going to be doing this for Battery Power TV coming up. I've had a great run with Corey McCartney over the last couple of years. You brought us in. You gave us the free reign. You gave us a blank canvas and said create something. And we were able to do that, I feel like, over on YouTube. If you haven't subscribed, it's the Battery Power channel on YouTube. Go check it out. Chris, you and I are going to be going through all the moves throughout the course of the winter, previewing this club in the lead-up to 2024. I think we're going to have a lot to talk about this winter, and I'm excited to be doing it with you here over the next few weeks. Oh, I'm very excited to uh, step in. Uh, I don't, you know, it, filling Corey's shoes is going to be very hard to do, but I'm excited for the opportunity. Excited to be in there with you guys. I think you've built something that's been really great over the last couple of seasons. So I'm really excited to uh, try to help carry that forward. I'm looking forward to the talking to all everything off season with you on a regular basis. Yeah, and I think we're going to have a lot of different things to talk about. Many of which we touched on this show, but these decisions are going to start being made. Not just whose option are you going to pick up or maybe re-signing a reliever, but the Braves have some serious questions, as most major league clubs are going to have over the course of the winter. It's the opportunity to find those missing pieces, to go out, get those deals done. And we've seen over the last few winters that Alex Antopoulos can find those pieces and typically does at a time in which you may not be planning for it. But we 
We'll schedule ourselves around whatever the Braves are doing over the course of the winter. So we'll hope you join us over on Battery Power TV. Check us out there. Subscribe on YouTube. Turn on those notifications. You'll get an alert every time we drop a new episode. And that, of course, we appreciate. Chris, as always, I appreciate all your time. I look forward to talking to you, not just on Battery Power TV, but right here on From the Diamond of the Not-Too-Distant Future. So thanks again. I appreciate it. And I have a feeling that we're going to have some pretty big Braves things to talk about over the course of the next few weeks and months. I agree with you 100%, and I appreciate you having me. This is always fun. That'll wrap things up for this edition of the show. As always, make sure you follow along on social media. I am at Grant McCauley. You can find the show at From the Diamond on most platforms. Like the show on Facebook, and if you need links to any and all of those things, fromthediamond.com is the place to find those. Coming up over the next few weeks, we'll, of course, be tracking the Braves, who have some award winners perhaps next week. The winter meetings are in the offing, so we're going to have a lot to talk about, and we'll see when the Braves strike to fill some of those needs that we talked about on this show. I think the starting rotation is in play, left field is in play, and if you know anything about how the Braves have operated over the past few years, you just may not see the answer coming, and it can come in the form of a trade. So we'll keep you up to date on all those things. Again, my thanks to Chris Willis for joining me this week, and my thanks to you for making From the Diamond part of your baseball podcast regimen. Until next time, I'm Grant McCauley. So long, everyone.